answer the phone? Uh, hello? Oh, hi. It's America's grabbiest podcast, The Pod People. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and I'm a part-time magician. Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> I'm Naughty Boy Ben Sheets, <laughs> and I've got my grumpy mask on. <laughs> I was also going to do a ring-ring joke, but it was going to be, uh, is your captive child running? Well, you'd better go catch it. <laughs> Uh, the other the other one was I was just gonna like scream randomly and, and ask to stop screaming randomly because I fucking hate cheap jump scares. But here we are. I was thinking about doing uh, the black phone's daughter, but that doesn't really make much sense. Uh, yeah, I see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was I was just thinking about a much better movie. <laughs> yeah. Same. Well, uh, this is our final new film of the year before our mid year catch up, um, which will. Also, just be new films, so I don't know what the point of that is. Really. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, it's an arbitrary. It's an arbitrary marking of us reaching we're, halfway, we're through, halfway the year. through the year. We're halfway through the year. We're halfway through the year of been the sequel. Good. There has certainly been bad. At least we're being uh, self-aware about our arbitrary awards, right? Yeah. yeah there you go. None of this means anything. Yeah. What? Ma- what? What? What even matters? Similarly to how I felt after walking out of The Black Phone, the film that we're going to be talking about, uh, which is uh, written and directed by Scott Derrickson, based off of a short story by Joe Hill, who is Stephen King's son, and uh, it's got Ethan Hawke and some child actors of varying uh, ability. Yep. Mostly... Not Most good. mostly bad. Yeah. yeah, I will say, Ethan Hawke, always great. Ethan yeah, Hawke is always is always like, good. He always does what he can with what with what he has. Um, Let, let's go ahead and say what you said that just sums it up perfectly when we were leaving the theater. I think you really coined it with this one. It's what I've been telling people who've been asking what I thought of it too. Remind me. Oh, you said it's a textbook. Three out of five. Uh, oh, yeah, that was yeah. Ben. No, that, yeah, that was Ben. Yeah, oh, my yeah, bad. Yeah. My bad. No, it's absolutely true. It's like... I mean, that's. I think that's kind of a spoiler for our ratings at the end, <laughs> but I mean, it is like... This is such like an inoffensive, okay, but like not memorable and exciting movie. Yeah, this is one of those movies where it's passable, but... I won't remember it by the end of the year. I nope. promise you that. Yeah, well, I mean, we saw it two days ago, and I'm already struggling to remember certain yeah. certain aspects of this movie. This is more of a testament to my own shitty memory, but also right before we recorded, I had to ask what film we were covering. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, Ethan Hawke is a standout. I, I was reading an interview with Scott Derrickson before the show today, and uh, he had an outrageous quote saying that this is the beginning of uh, Ethan Hawke's reconnaissance, uh, much oh. like Matthew McConaughey oh, uh, rejuvenating like his career. Dude. Excuse me? The fuck, don't. That's well, so that's the fucking... thing. Like, this is almost the opposite of that. Like, Ethan Hawke used to be doing a lot of good movies. Also, Ethan Hawke doesn't need his career rejuvenated. First Reformed is not that old of a movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> it's people just grabbing at clickbaity words. You yeah. Know, like, trying to sound smart. That's, that's all. And that also, like, wow, that's, that's what, what, a, what a movie to use as the example of the beginning of Ethan yeah. Hawke's dude, resurgence. Dude, do his, like, his whole bit in The Northman. Like, I know he, like, he... he yeah, he's right. Yeah. He was just in that the he, same he's... year. And he's so good in that. I know he's only in the first act, but, like he's so good at he's it. so like, good yeah like use use something else don't yeah don't don't like Ethan <laughs> Hawke deserves better I yeah guess. well Ethan Hawke's great and he steals the show in this movie but this is like a perfect example of what I feel like is doing a movie for hire doing a movie for them well he he and Scott Derrickson must be friends because this is not the first time that he's worked with Scott Derrickson he was also in Sinister which, similarly to this movie, is, like, textbook three out of five. Not particularly memorable, kind of stupid, but competently enough made that you can't call it a bad movie, riddled with cheap jump scares. And that's that's Scott Derrickson's career in a nutshell, I think. Yes. That's also how I would describe The Exorcism of Emily Rose. That's also how I would describe the first Doctor Strange movie. All of these movies are just fine. Yeah. 
I didn't know he did the first Doctor Strange movie. Mm-hmm. He I, did. I like that one. It's okay. Well, it's I just think the like visuals are the only thing that stand out. Yeah, it's and really he doesn't really direction. have anything to do with that. Huh? Well, yeah, it's it's, so. a, it's it's that thing where he did the first Doctor Strange movie, but it's the same way that like any director does a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. You know, they stay within the confines of of what Disney and Kevin Feige want. I will say it's interesting because he was originally going to do. The new Doctor Strange that came out this year, mm-hmm. but he quit over creative differences because he wanted to make it more of a horror movie, from what I've heard. Um, so he ended up going and making this instead, and uh, they got oh. Sam Raimi for uh, Doctor Strange too, which I didn't see. Uh, I haven't seen. I can't speak on it at all. Yeah, so. me either. Don't necessarily plan on it either. I probably will at some point, um, but I haven't yet. So this movie is based on a short story by Stephen King's son, Joe Hill, and uh, you can definitely feel the lineage. It yes. just it it is like Stephen King Jr. kind of deal. Yes. It's set, a very Stephen King story. Set in the seventies, there it's about kids fighting an evil force which is an adult in this case, an adult and serial the kids, killer. The kids have psychic abilities and they One ride of, bicycles. Yep. And yeah, that's it. and I, there's a there's a, a supernatural I, element that's not particularly well explained. Well, you know that's all fine and cool. You can do a great story, like sure. in that in that it's, setting. And sure. Stephen King has a lot of great stories like that. Yeah, and a lot of not great stories. Like he's got a little bit of all of it. And uh, give maybe give Joe Hill some time. I'm I'm happy to do that. You know, like let him keep trying, let him keep at it or whatever. But I mean, I also so... haven't read Joe Hill's actual story, so I don't know how the the quality of that story is. All I can speak on is the adaptation. That yeah. is this movie, True. which is again, yeah. Fine. Maybe the writing style like really brings it through. Who knows? Yeah, you can't maybe. say. Maybe it doesn't. One thing that kind of surprised me is how brutal this movie felt towards the kids, even more so than yes. it and Ed Two. Like, yeah, uh, you know, it too is very adult with how it treats kids. You know, they swear and like there's heavy themes around that. But like this one, like kids get the shit. Beaten out of them. I mean, like the, the one times. kid almost like in that the bully fight. Like when the guy stands up to the bully, like he almost kills. Yeah, him. like the first thirty minutes of this movie is like kids getting the shit beaten out of them, yeah. mostly by each other. But then there's also the scene where like the dad uh, beats the daughter with a belt for having psychic powers, which I honestly think is the uh, most impactful scene of the movie, but Easy. also pretty unpleasant. It's, yeah. I, it is. I think that's what makes it impactful. I, I think so too. Like that was like the only time in the movie where I felt something yeah, one know, way or I, another. It does make you, it made me feel uncomfortable as well. And, because, you know. and mostly because that little girl is a very good actor, yes. and I think she's the only good child actor in this movie. Yeah. For a while when we were watching it, I thought it was the same girl that played the girl in Psycho Goreman. I was wrong. But, like, they're similarly, like, that. really mousy, yeah. good acting... Kind of sassy. Yeah. yeah, Similar characters. Mm. No, yeah, she's great. None of the other child actors are. No. Like... No, the main child actor definitely isn't. You know, I will say... I think a better direction, and as they get older and better, they could totally do better, but, like... I will say I'm glad they actually got kids. Like, all the kids actually felt like the age they're supposed to be in the movie, Mm -hmm. which is... Kind of saying something. And not like 19 year olds playing 13 year olds. The only thing about that, though, is you get the downside, which is when you have multiple scenes, many scenes, of regular dialogue between children, you have to naturalize it, and that's really hard because you have to find really good child actors. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, say what you will about Stranger Things nostalgia baitiness or whatever else like that, like, they got really good Those child actors. Those kids are at least pretty good actors. They're, they're yeah. pretty damn good yeah. actors, and, and also, like, they're well-directed, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't... I think this movie had neither of those things. And it's trying to ape that same vibe, right? Like, um, of course, Str- Stranger Things is aping Stephen King, for sure, for sure. But 
you know, we don't live in the 80s anymore. So anything else that is aping Stephen King is also going to be in some capacity. Yeah. Like, it's going to be impossible to not tie, tether it to Stranger Things in some way. And just frankly, like, these, these kids are just nowhere near as compelling. Well, there's um, there's also nothing about this story that I feel like, at least in the movie, again, maybe, maybe the short story is different, but there's nothing about this story that feels like it needs to be set in the late 70s. Nope. Which it is. The stack is fine. But, I mean, yeah, like, other than the fact that the kids don't have cell phones, I guess, and they ride around on their bikes instead of playing Nintendo Switch, like, I, it, uh, I guess. And there was, like, the whole, like, kids on milk cartons thing at that time. and Yeah, sure. It, like, the, the whole missing children thing. And I, and I do think that, like, there's some kind of neat stuff in the periphery of that film. I don't think they did near enough of anything with it. I mean, it's fine capacity. that it was set in the '70s, I guess, but yeah. there, like, it didn't feel like there was a purpose for it. I, I think there's a purpose to much of anything in this movie. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, I agree with you, Cleve. I think if they would have like focused on more details and flushed them out more, like, you would have gotten a more interesting original story. Like, this feels so generic. Yeah. I feel like I've seen this movie a million times in different yeah. forms. Well, that's, that's the thing. Lack of detail is a problem that I had with this movie, too, where I don't necessarily have that problem in other movies. Like, I don't, I, I generally don't mind things being kept vague and up to the imagination. This movie was just kind of boring, so I found myself, like, missing something, like, interesting that I could grasp onto. Like, we don't really learn anything about the killer. No. Like, he no. kidnaps and not in a, these and not kids. not a scary way. Yeah, it's like his whole thing is he kidnaps these kids, keeps them in his basement. He wears a, a variety of devil masks that are either smiling or frowning, depending on his mood. It reminds me of the, the masks from uh, the, the kids wear in uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, right? The kind of spooky Oh, yeah, kind of. With the, the big grins on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like the I design well enough. Yeah, it's cool. It's a cool mask. But it's like, but yeah, and then his thing is like he pretends to forget to lock the door so the kids will try to leave the basement, and then he's just waiting in the sitting in the kitchen with his shirt off, holding a belt, waiting to beat them. Like that's that's like his whole deal, and like <laughs> like that's it. Yeah. yeah. Like I was hoping we like I wanted to get some more like details around him, mm. and also. Um, the the supernatural element of this film, the whole the whole thing it hinges on is like our main character who's trapped in this basement. There's like this old black rotary phone on the wall that's like not hooked up to anything, but it keeps ringing, and you know he answers it, and the ghosts of the kids who have died before him like give him fun enough of, of yeah, an idea. Yeah, and like that, and that idea is is interesting, but also like. There's never any sort of explanation for the magic of this phone or the ghost kids and or anything. And normally, it's the, it's the title if movie. it was a more interesting film, I would be fine with that supernatural element being kept ambiguous and vague. But in this movie, I was like, uh, give me something to work with, please. Right. Yeah, and like the the kids who die who call, like they have the barest bones of characters. Mm-hmm. Like it's. They're not fleshed out as at all. Like we get a little bit of flashback stuff. Yeah, uh, but I, like there's not nearly enough to give us like more. You know, they they could add add a detail there. Well, you too, know, you know what what I'll say is I actually I don't mind that like the kids don't have too much detail to them. You know that there's several of them, and the boy is like trying to figure out who they are. But they're they've they're slipped off to the afterlife, so like their connection to Earth is frayed, and so they don't remember their names yeah, exactly. and stuff. And, yeah, I, and like so things are hazy, and so he's trying to get them to remember how they can help him. And I thought that was a really I thought that was a cool idea in that um, it's an authentic and natural way to do the pronoun game, where like these kids can't tell him everything up front about anything because they're they can barely remember themselves, they're ghosts, and their impressions of who they were and. I thought that was dope. I think the problem is that what they're trying to explain and what they're trying to help him get by is as simple as the killer's just waiting upstairs to beat you. Yeah. And, like, and I was, I felt a little baited because there's a bit early on when the killer, like, is talking to him in there. He's like, you're not, it's not ready yet or something like that. And I was like, is there a ritual? He's talking about his yeah. brother as well. And it's like, oh, are they, like, is the brother, like, preparing for something big? Like, he was... I 
swear to God, he was alluding to some like grand event. What was that? It's did I miss something? No, no, not really. Is the grand event just him beating them? Yeah. Well, one of the one of the kids he talks to on the phone is like he won't do anything until you play Naughty Boy. So, like, that's, like, the first part of whatever this is, is, like, he has to try to escape and get beaten with the belt. But we never see it go past that. So, I mean, obviously we know that all of these other kids have ended up murdered, but we don't really know anything about what, like, the killer's process is or his... uh, his motivation, like what's wrong with him, like who yeah. he is, and you know. What's no, confusing we never is like at one point the the kid gets out and he runs off and right. you know, he you know, gets thrown back in the basement and uh you would assume he had to play Naughty Boy because you know, he ran off, but he didn't look beaten at all, really. No, he kind of just, like, put him back in the basement. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and like, it's like, why? What are the rules? Yeah, I, what are the rules here? And uh, the thing with the kids, just to go back to that quick, I I just brought that up as another example sure. where they could build, mm-hmm. you know, texture in the movie. I because will say, they don't have well, and anything. And they could do more texture with they the They have so many avenues they could go, mm-hmm. and they, they do none. I will say this is this is kind of jumping a bit, but one thing that I do like is that each of the kids that he talks to sort of tells him like what they tried to do to escape. Like, oh, you know, wait till he falls asleep and then there's a padlock on the door and that lock was mine. It was my bike lock and I scratched the code to it on the wall over here. And another kid's like, oh yeah, if you lift up one of the tiles, you know, you can you can like try to dig a tunnel out of here. And another kid's like, oh yeah, I hid like a long cord or something that I found like along the baseboard and you can use that to try to reach the window and like they all they all like tell him these like different things that they tried to do to escape and he tries them too to no avail but then when he eventually does win at the end it's through a combination of everything they taught yeah. him of all of their knowledge together which allows him to defeat the killer and escape yeah. and i think that was cool yeah. I, I will the punchy pit was a was a really nice yeah. touch yeah i will say the window didn't make a lot of sense to me like he it's soundproofed well he like pulls off the 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 grate to the window the bars and, yeah and you know i thought that would be like oh he's going to use something with the window also like at least well he hides he hides the the bars in the bottom of the hole that he's dug that he covers with the rug that's right that's right so when when ethan hawk chases him at the end and he falls in the hole he breaks his ankle on the uh Mm -hmm. on the bars yeah Uh, like and uh, but I will say where I agree with you about that is I was like oh he ripped the bars off the window the killer is obviously going to see that and punish yeah. him for it. And then he doesn't. No. He never notices yeah. that he pulled the bars off the yeah. window. And, yeah, and again, too, like, it's in a, like, brutal space where, like, there's no... All that is in that room is what we have described. There's a toilet, bar bars, and... Uh, a bare mattress. A, mare, a bare mattress and that's a like, phone. That's, like, bolted to the floor so yeah. he can't move it. Exactly. And that's mm-hmm. it. So um, and there's some rolled up uh, there's carpet, some rolled sorry. up rugs. I forgot I, yeah, yeah. I didn't mention that, um, which are pretty long, and you reach out to the height of the window. But here's what I understand: is a pretty big point that is made is that the room has been soundproofed, mm-hmm. and he soundproofed it himself. He can shout and scream as much as he wants to, and he does. But after he pulls the grating off, we see sky on the other side. It's yeah, not it's a soundproof. Window. Yeah, he can scream. Like I don't. What and they they don't have a thing where he tries to and he gets beat. There's nothing like like it's not soundproofed anymore. Like you can you can now scream right. Like, am I and I feel like I'm missing something with that. Yeah, I I don't know. Like it's not I mean, thought through, right? Or am I like 
Yeah. The grating, I don't even know if that would be the soundproofing. I would just assume it would be, a, like, a thick window or something. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Also, like... It doesn't really make all that much sense. It but. doesn't make a lot of sense. It does also doesn't really matter that much. But, like, yeah. I when you, when you do start thinking about it, it's like, he says he soundproofed the room, but, like, the room looks, like, old and dingy. And, like, if he was going to, like, do legitimate efforts to soundproof it, like he would have to pull the walls off and, like, put soundproofing behind the walls, right? But the the old phone is still on the wall. Like, it doesn't, it just, it doesn't seem like the room has actually been soundproofed. soundproofed. And also, like, okay, so... It's, clearly, it's a this, nitpicky dumb thing. I guess thing. this room had some other purpose at some point. You know, like, maybe, maybe, there's nothing implying this. There's no texture here. But, like, the vaguest of Grassic is, like, maybe they're... It was like used by their dad at some point. That's why. Well, yeah, it's it's Im- it's implied that they that the this is the killer's like childhood home. Yeah, is where he grew up. And and like it would yeah, I, I think some more texture there would have been cool. Uh, but the, the thing I just don't understand is like he he took everything out of the room. He was very careful about it, but for whatever reason, the black phone is still there. And like it it's only there for the kid to use, yeah. you know, like, there's no reason, it just doesn't make any sense to me, like, um, when, like, literally everything else has been stripped out of the room, like, why wouldn't he strip the phone out, too? I, th- I think there's supposed to be some kind of implication, it's not very well done, but I think there's supposed to be some kind of implication that the killer is scared of the phone, yeah, because they he's, say he hears it ring. Yeah, they the one of the kids tell him is like he hears it ring too, and the killer and, and Ethan Hawke even says he's like yeah it rings sometimes. I think it's just like the static electricity or whatever, you know. But it's like it's it's implied that he's like spooked by it. I would have loved, but we some more I, exactly. I would have there like, yeah, where, where for there to be with that? something. It. Yeah, there's no payoff. There's like no payoff what's what's the history of the phone? Why is it in the basement in the first place? Like, what purpose did it have that, like, the killer is, like, afraid of it or has some kind of reverence for it where he doesn't want to, like, take it out? Like, just literally anything. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, give us more about Ethan Hawke's character. Uh, You know, I think, uh, considering he's the best part of the movie, like, well, that and, uh, his brother. There's a reveal that, uh... He has a brother who uh, is sort of doing the the Pepe Sylvia thing. Pepe Sylvia, this name keeps coming up over and over again. Every day, Pepe's mail's getting sent back to me. Pepe Sylvia, Pepe Sylvia. I look at the mail. Well, this whole box is Pepe Sylvia. So I say to myself, I gotta find this guy. I gotta go up to his office. I gotta put his mail in the guy's goddamn hands. Otherwise, he's never gonna get it. It's gonna keep coming back down here. So I go up to Pepe's office, and what do I find out, Matt? What do I find out? There is no Pepe Sylvia. The man does not exist, okay? So I decided, oh, shit, buddy. I got to dig a little deeper. There's no Pepe Sylvia. You got to be kidding me. I got boxes full of Pepe. All right, so I start marching my way down to Carol in HR, and I knock on her door, and I say, Carol, Carol, I got to talk to you about Pepe. And when I open the door, what do I find? There's not a single goddamn desk in that office. There is no Carol in HR. Yeah, well, that reveal is done in a fun way because, like, the cops show up to the house, which at this point we don't know is the same house. The brother answers the door, and he comes in, and he's like, I've been, you know, I've been trying to pinpoint, like, I think this is the area where the killer has to live based on these things. And he's, like, all manic and You guys are short-staffed. You need to hire me it's as like, a detective. It's like, yeah, I, like, uh, you know, can I call you if I, if I break any more details in the case? And they just, like, notice that there's, like, some residue of some, like, lines of coke on the table and they're like you know maybe clean up before your brother comes home or I like, whatever i do like that the cops don't care about the coke yeah this well, seems very earnest like because like, they're hunting cop. they're yeah. hunting a serial killer like they don't have time to bother with this dude who's yeah. snorting coke in the co- in the comfort of his own home you know and so like and that's fun but and then it like pans down like as he's like snorting another line it goes down through the floor into the basement it's like oh my god it's the same house so he's like trying to track the killer but he doesn't know that the killer's his brother but that's basically the extent of that and they don't yeah like it's done where it could just be like an artistic transition or whatever but like it's so you still kind of guess it and it's 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 clear and it's obvious but well, it's like I would have loved to see some interaction between Ethan Hawke and his brother. We never get it. 
like, outside of this whole thing, you know, where, like, maybe he's like, oh, well, you know, I think I've come up with some, I've found some clue that might help the cops find the killer, and Ethan Hawke has to, like, try to, like, lead him off the scent and, like, mislead him and stuff like that. All of this, like, there's so much room for, like, legitimately fun, interesting things in this movie, and it seems like they just chose to do none of that be in, in favor of uh, us just seeing our main character moping in the basement, you know? This sounds like a dumb question, but do you put the blame on that on Joe Hill for the original, or do you put that on Scott Derrickson for not switching it up to make it more interesting? It's hard to say because I haven't read the the story, so I don't know what details are in that story that were omitted or changed in this movie. But I do think the blame ultimately falls on uh, Scott Derrickson and uh, J. Robert Cargill. Is that his screenwriting partner yeah. um, who he's worked with on all these movies? I do think that... that a lot of that blame falls on them because even if it is an adaptation of a story, like it's still your job as the person writing the screenplay and making the film to make the film interesting. So if the if the source material doesn't have enough of that to like make an interesting film, then it's your responsibility to add the necessary details to make it interesting. And I think that this movie has a lot of places where they could have added interesting detail and they just didn't. Yeah. One thing I did really like in this movie was the music. They have a track over the opening credits that's like industrial noise and really dissonant and all over the place. And I gotta be um, honest, I do not remember the music at all. Other parts of the, it, the, the movie had like progressive electronic, lots of like arpeggiated stuff in it. Did anybody um, notable do this score? Anybody we would I know? I have no idea. That's uh, a good question. Yeah, they, they did some kind of more abstract, like, harsh industrial stuff that was kind of cool. Oh, uh, yeah, there's actually a very good reason for that. The, the music was done by Mark Corvin, who did the music for The Witch and The Lighthouse and sure. The Terror. Uh, okay, yeah, that, that checks out. Yeah, that, that actually... <laughs> and Cube. Um, that actually... Uh, wow, yeah, okay. Well, he does a good job in this movie. I, I wish I'd been paying more attention the to, the, to the music in really this movie. really stood out in a positive way for me. Or on the topic of like details that could have been better fleshed out, one, one another big one that stuck out for me was the dad. You know, we were talking earlier about how like there's a pretty... There's a very impactful scene early on where he's like he's, he's beating the younger sister mm -hmm. and you know saying like you know like you're not your mother please don't have like a psychic fit you know and he's like he's, he's beating her I mean, like you know like you don't have dreams and why were the police coming to my work and it's pretty heavy because like the dad is like clearly a drinker and like not a good guy yeah he's a heavy alcoholic yeah, like, yeah. one, of, one of the things I like about the asshole. actor too is like the character is like he's not like stereotypical like I'm an angry drunk dad he's kind of soft spoken he looks like um father drunk misty like, he's, like, he's, like, he's like a Father John Misty kind of look about him. Um, yeah, he's played by Jeremy Davies, who's been in a lot of big movies. Mm. Um, House that Jack built, he was in that. And oh, Saving Private Ryan. Nice. He, he's in Lost too, which is where I interesting. Yeah, I, I I actually like, I thought he did a good job, but where I was going? Oh yeah, with go that ahead. is that he was. Uh, I thought that scene was very powerful. And there was a moment where, like, while that's all happening, like, the our protagonist, the young boy, is, like, standing down the hallway, like, watching the whole thing happen, or just, like, across the counter in the kitchen. And he's watching the whole thing happen, but he's not really brave enough to stand up or do anything about it. He's, he's, he's a small boy, you know? Like, there's not a lot he can do. Well, yeah, that's and he's, the whole he's thing powerless, is he doesn't, which is stand, he doesn't stand up to... For, yeah, for himself or for, himself. for others. And that's cool. That theme has been established. And then they do nothing with it. The movie ends. The dad hugs them. And yeah, well, they they sort of go on out on their way. And it's like like there's never a moment where like the brother can like stand up for his sister or himself with the bullies or you know like I didn't like where's where's like well I mean at the end he does you know make eye contact with the bullies in the hall and they leave him alone because enough. he killed because, because he the, killed the the but, killer and, and now it's because he's of the tough. killer thing it's not like through his own doing. You know what I mean? Well, that's, like, the, that's doing, the point, is not... that he hasn't... He doesn't stand up to the bullies. He doesn't stand up to his dad. He takes the beatings, all this stuff. 
So he's, you know, uh, in a position where he doesn't stand up for himself, so he's obviously going to die from this killer, but then he stands up to the killer, and in so doing, he is now strong. But um, I... I don't have a problem with that in just in the sense that like I didn't need to see him like beating the shit out of his dad at the end or anything. As <laughs> no, funny as standing that, up to him. Well, I, I I will say while we're on the subject of of the dad, I think the dad is um, maybe the most complex character in the film, and he's not super complex or anything. But most of these characters are very surface level, but. What I like about how they handle the dad and the kid's relationship with the dad is, like, they establish him as, like, a mean drunk. He's an asshole. Like, in one of the first scenes, like, the the protagonist is, like, eating cereal for breakfast while the dad's reading the newspaper. And dad's like, can you slurp that any louder? I don't think they can hear you up in Boulder. You know, and uh, then we get the scene of him beating the daughter. But, like, especially once the son goes missing... You know, we start to learn some stuff that, like, there was something up with the mom. She had these dreams, too, that the daughter does. She had, like, psychic visions, and it led her to committing suicide. And we don't know if that's the reason for the dad becoming an alcoholic or whatever, but it certainly didn't help. And you get the idea that he is so brutally hard on his kids because he's afraid of... Yeah, he wants he wants to put yeah. the fear of God into her so she doesn't end up, like, killing herself like her mother. Right. Which, like, there is a lot of, like, wonderful complexity there. And it's like, cool, I get it. He's deeply misguided, but we can relate. You know, yeah, well, like, that's, that's, that's neat. So, like, let's give him that moment where the son can teach him. It's not well. It's not to for like. It's not to to forgive what he's done necessarily, but also like at a certain point, the daughter goes to him and is like, "Dad, I need to talk to you, but can you please promise that you're not going to get mad?" And he says, yeah, I won't get mad. And she's like, I've been having more dreams. And I think I know, like, I think I've seen the house where um, whatever her brother's name it like where the killer's house is. And, you know, that's where we get the whole thing about like him talking about her mom and whatever. But after that, I think is very important is he does get in the car with her and drive her around the neighborhood trying to find the house. Yeah. And, like, that does feel like just, like, a small redemptive moment for him. Like, it doesn't it doesn't excuse the way he's treated them before, but it does enough to show that, like, he does believe in his children and, enough that he will do that and does care enough and that he's not just a... He's not just a villain. And I do yeah. love the idea of, like, even fully redeeming this character because like the reality is is like parents still don't but in the 70s especially didn't know like what they were doing as technology advances as we become more connected as a as a as a people you know like we we're, we learn like better ways to raise kids and we learn better ways to do that and like they just didn't have access to that at the time and like i get that i'm not i'm in no way forgiving of course, of course. but like he's a single dad is, who's lost his wife to, to suicide yeah, yeah, think, yeah, 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 yeah all the things we already explained and like i think that there is a cool opportunity for him to like learn and to to grow you know not to be fully redeemed or to make those things right but to to try and i and i think that there's something where, like a lot of movies are way too cowardly to do that. And like and I do I do I will give the movie props for like like him driving the daughter around and the rest. I just I feel like it needed just a little bit more. Yeah. And if not with the dad, like cuz also I do think it's kind of cool cuz it's more like beef with the dad and the girl and like maybe the brother him standing in makes the the sister seem less powerful and less of her own agency. I get that too. So that's fine. But at the very least give me a moment with the boy of some kind doing something either with the bullies or something to make it show that in his, like, I hate using hero's journey comparatives, but I'm going to have to use one as, like, in, like, your traditional story structure, you know, the hero goes to a horrifying land, gets a magic sword, defeats the monster with it, brings it home, and uses it for good, right? And he does all of those things except for really bringing, like, his magic sword home and using it. If we don't see him use it for good, it's, like, just the periphery of the previous events. It's, like, now the bullies are scared of him because of the events that happened. They're not 
scared of him because he stands up for himself. And I would have just, I would have well, liked I mean, but, something. Uh, I know, yeah, he stands up to the killer, but like, just to Yeah, be, that is him standing up for himself. That's that. That's know, him, that's him projecting, it, but, that's him sending a message to everybody that he can't be fucked with, right? Yeah. Because what better way to do that than killing the serial killer who abducted you and mm-hmm. abducted and killed a bunch of other boys in town, you know? Like... Yeah. I, I think I think that's fine. My larger problem with how they wrap stuff up is that so the daughter and her psychic powers don't really oh, have yeah. any payoff Let's in a way that, that I find kind of frustrating. Deeply. Yeah. She just like she just goes to the police and they listen to her and that's it. Well yeah, that that first and foremost is a very weird thing. No but, like the police the police continue to listen to her when she's like, I had dreams that like I think I know where the killer's house is. And it's like the the whole like her whole thing, the whole movie is like she keeps having the dreams of like this house with this like particular dead tree in the front yard and she like dreams of like the killer standing there with his black balloons and shit and so she's trying to find the house she's going all over town trying to find the house she finally does and gets the police they come without question nope no question they all roll up and they just break dude imagine if like cops busted into your house because an eight-year-old had a dream because an eight-year-old had a dream right (laughs) i mean in this country (laughs) more likely i feel like they they break into people's houses for less for less all the time (laughs) but yeah they, they go into the house and it's empty and all they find is, like, uh, some mounds of dirt in the basement. It's like, okay, this is where he buries his uh, victims. And then it's revealed that the house where he actually lives is across the street. But they don't learn, like, they never figure that out. The only reason we learn that is because at the same time as they're, like, raiding the empty house... The main character is, like, having his final stand against the killer, and he kills him, and then he walks outside, and they see him, and the brother and sister hug, and that's it. But it's like, her whole thing ended up having no purpose to the film at all. Yeah. It, like, it, it didn't help them find the killer or anything. Like, that all happened through... Uh, you know the the boy getting uh, fighting lessons from his dead ghost friend. You know, in order to kill the 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 grabber and get out. And it just happens to be while they're also across the street, like digging up the dead bodies. Like it it, it feels it feels unfair to the character of like the sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I also I think she's like I said she's the best child actor in this movie and I think that like An opportunity for her to convince the policeman would have been great right or for her to fucking solve the mystery and nobody's like that that's fucking Stephen King in a nutshell right yeah. is that like the kids have to face up against the force of evil because the adults won't because yeah. they either don't believe them or something is happening to like keep them oblivious or whatever is that the like the kids have to have to defeat the monster because there's no help from the adults. Yeah. And I mean that does happen through the boy, but then what's the purpose of the sister character? It almost feels like they were trying to do like a silence of the lambs type of thing. Yes. You know, wrong house. Wrong house. That's you know? exactly what it and felt the like. Payoff, yeah, but it, it felt like, a, like a bad bait and switch. Yeah, well it's what really makes it the weirdest like like landing that didn't stick for me is they do the bait and switch after he's killed the guy. So like he's killed well sim- simultaneously, yeah. really. Yeah. Well, so yeah, like exactly, like which might as well be after because like he's already walking up the stairs when they're like, oh shit, we have the wrong house, and it's like, well, okay, no, cool. well, he's no, gonna walk no, out. Not like, really. Like they're. They're they're breaking into the house like around the same time he the the boy is like having his showdown with Ethan Hawke, so it's like you think that like oh the cops could bust in and save him at the last moment and in in one regard it's like okay the cops don't show up to save him so he has all of the agency in the end you know to stand up for himself and get out by himself okay fine good cool whatever but this bait and switch like I, I'm glad you brought 
Silence of the Lambs because it does just feel like a cheap knockoff yeah. of of that exact same conceit in Silence of the Lambs, which yeah. is handled so much better, and it makes so much more sense. It makes so Silence much more sense. And all it really does in this movie is it's a frustrating bait and switch that feels uh, dismissive of like one of the best characters in the film, yeah. <laughs> the little girl, you know. Yeah, I want. I do want to mention specifically like a moment with the bad child actors is the boy and his friend in the school bathroom. His his badass friend yeah. who beats <laughs> who beats up the bully really grotesquely because you know you gotta that everyone's got to see the blood so they know to not fuck with you it's like they saw the blood dude they saw the blood then they saw more blood and more blood like you didn't like jesus christ like in fairness the bully called him a racial slur he did he did sure but also like that kid is not like waking up for a month or two like that's a that's concussion like that's like coma shit like he put in that kid in a coma it doesn't help too that like there's like massive dramatic stings over every punch, which is throughout the film. We'll talk about that in a second. But um, though afterwards, yeah, they're in the bathroom and like bullies come through, or whatever, and the, the 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 kid intimidates the bullies away, and he talks to the kid about standing up for himself. But it's like the dialogue is so still like stilted because they're children, where she's like, "You will always be my friend. You have to learn to stick up for yourself." And it's just like 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 the the lines are like right off camera, you know, kind yeah. of stuff. The and line- it's just like it's it's rough and it's like you're gonna cut that down or like the line delivery is really bad in that scene particular but that actually does bring up uh another thing that i was uh that i want to get y'all's opinion about is did y'all get the impression that they were trying to imply that like the main character and that and like his friend his tough friend like were gay no Yes, but it was like a half measure. But half measure, yeah. yeah. I didn't even get that. Yeah, I'm the gayest one here. Yeah, I didn't get that at all. When they uh, really project when that the bullies the come into the, In the bathroom, uh, well, yeah, all the they, bullies uh, they they continue to call the main character the f word. Yeah, and like fairy yeah. and shit like that. Like words and f words, I always say they they call him like a lot of a lot of like insulting terms for gay. And like it's the seventies, and that's just what kids do. Yeah. But then also like there is something about like the way that those characters interact that feels like a little bit beyond like just being friends. So I was like. Are they trying to say something here, but they wouldn't commit to it enough one way or another? Well, it's that, such like, a half measure that they introduce, like, a completely throwaway uh, girl character to give him the not gaze. Yeah. Afterwards. Yeah, that's true. The the girl who sits yeah. next to him in science yeah. class or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's the whole point of her character is, like, is oh, the yeah, not gay. this kid has romance in store for him. Like, which, again, like... I don't really give a shit about because they're literal children, so, like, I don't really care one way or the other. Like, I, don't, I think that, like, like, like the cute little crush thing. I mean, they're like, not, like, whatever. they're not, like, that's, eight that's years old. They're, like, they're, like, coming of age, like, around puberty, so where they're, like, starting to come into like, their, but, yeah. you know, their sexuality and whatever. So, like, I, I think that I, that was just one of those things where I felt like I'm not... Like it felt kind of gay, but not enough that I was able to like. I I could tell if they were like trying to make a statement about it. But then again, they have the the girl character to give him the not gaze. But then like when they're talking on the phone at the end, you know, uh, before he fights and kills Ethan Hawke. And he's uh, uh, the the ghost kid is talking about is like oh you know I I won't uh, my my dad uh, went to Vietnam and he didn't come home and I'm not gonna be coming home from this one either and then the the protagonist is like we'll be together soon and I was like mm, are they what what are they doing here it it was just. Uh, it just felt confused. I wouldn't have cared one way or another. Yeah. But it's like... First not. Pick a lane. Pick a lane. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pick a lane. And, uh... Yeah, there's, there's a lot of those problems with this movie where it's just like, I don't know, just like establish a theme. Like, there's a number of themes yeah. here, but I would just like to have gotten one that was just like brought home a little bit more. And instead it's just, I think every, all these points we brought up are kind of diluted. And the last thing in that respect is, you know, picking a lane, being confident in your filmmaking. I think that this movie's, in my opinion, its greatest sin is its lack of confidence and its need to be bombastic about everything. 
every punch in this movie that's like it's like it's kids it's like you know these these youths okay well maybe they're 13 and not eight or whatever i don't know uh the whenever they hit someone there's like an entire orchestral like percussive lineup like slamming timpanis you know like like that has been augmented by industrial like grinding synths and it's like dude his arm is like a pole like it's a little bean pole like like this kid it's a kid punching a dude like it's not gonna sound like you know like bam you know and like the whole theater reverberates and it's like i i don't and 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 it's that on top of like the super intense orchestral jump scares where like when the ghost like the the camera pans and the ghost is in the corner goes Nila, nila. you know it's like the well, that's, yeah, a, that's a whole other yeah, thing and it's like, uh, but it's all the same like they're putting like they're over emphasizing like these little moments that could just be subtle that could be like quiet and meaningful and like if you it's it's like a to me it's the same as uh when they put those laugh tracks in big bang theory and, like, you know, you watch Big Bang Theory without the laugh track, and, like, it's not funny at all. It's just, like, people saying words at each other. I would argue it's not like, funny with the laugh, laugh track. Laugh sure. But, like, they, they use the laugh track to try and, like, amplify it. So it's like, to oh, fake hey, it. Pretend yeah, they, like they, it's these, funny. These yeah. are jokes. And it's like, as soon as you remove the laugh track, like, the realization is like, wait, no, there are no jokes here. Well, it's just people saying words at each other. And it's like, I think that it's the same thing where, like, I love bombast and adding flair to things and in and, and giving a little extra zhuzh and grip and texture and ramping it up. But, like, you need to have a little bit more there to begin with, and it's it's a matter of when, you know? And yeah. I just think that, like, so much of this movie, like, it they, they added all that extra juice because they it just it didn't feel like it was confident in what it had without it. Yeah, well, I, I definitely agree with you, especially when it comes to jump scares. Like, yeah. it felt like there was a real inconfidence in what the movie is, and I mean, semi-justifiably, it's kind of a boring movie just because it's generic, mm. but his solution is to just throw... I mean, that's... that's Non-sequitur jump scares That's Scott there. Derrickson in a nutshell, though, right? Yeah. Like, as a horror filmmaker, looking at stuff like The Exorcism of Emily Rose and Sinister, those are both movies that are not they're technically horror movies but they're not actually like scary the pretense of fear is delivered entirely through way too many cheap jump scares and this yeah. movie does the same thing what was so interesting about them to me is we saw it in a pretty packed theater and i'm used to a lot of audience participation in like packed opening night horror movie theaters Especially with jump scares, you know, like, people usually respond. And yeah. that's part of the fun of going opening night to a horror movie. This crowd was dead for yeah. those uh, jump scares. And it's because they had no real impact. Yeah. I mean, I think this this crowd was just kind of dead because the movie is just kind of dead. Yeah. I also noticed that during this movie... There were, and maybe I just noticed it because more because the movie didn't particularly engage me. But I also noticed a lot of people getting up, going to the bathroom, getting more popcorn, so on and so forth. Yeah, like people just constantly getting up out of their seats and coming in and going out of the theater, and it's like. This is a movie where I don't blame where I don't blame you. Like if I had to pee, I would have felt I would have not felt bad at all about getting no. up and going to take a pee during this movie. No, like no. I I hard don't to feel miss like anything. I, yeah, hard to miss anything exciting at all. We've talked about like Ethan Hawke being the best part of this movie, but even so, I feel like there's too little of him in not this enough. movie. Not enough at all. There's okay. too little of him in this movie. And another thing that I think about Ethan Hawke as like an actor is like I think he has a very expressive face. He does like he's a he does a lot with his face as an actor. And this entire movie, his face is hidden behind a mask. Yeah, and his voice is good. I like he does he, he does some interesting stuff with his voice. And like that's another thing where it's like, especially with like the constant changing of the masks to like match the mood, like either the smiling or the frowning masks, on and so forth. And like there's some subtle changes in his voice. It's like. I was kind of wondering at the beginning if this character was like if they were doing like a like a DID kind of thing like multiple personalities, you yeah. know? Nah, just happy sad. And then again, 
there's nothing about Anything. that. You know, the the he taught like there are times where it seems like he's more sensitive and he's like, oh, I'm thinking about letting you go, or it's like, don't worry, I'm not gonna hurt you, I'm not gonna. Then he has that one line where he's like, I. I won't do anything to you that you won't like. And it's like, oh, he's a he's a, a diddler, yeah. you know? And then there's nothing. nothing. There's like, I mean, there's for the best, but like... I, yeah, I mean, not yeah. that I'm saying that I wanted to watch... No, but nothing implied with that. Like, nothing brought home with that. That almost yeah. makes me wonder if in an earlier draft of the script, he did have DID and the brother character was rolled up into him because, mm. like... I could imagine those being one and the same because it's now that would be now that would be an interesting turn where one personality is trying to solve the crime while the other personality is the one who committed the crime. Yeah, that that. could be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Now I have one other idea. My my thought would be okay. So there's a supernatural element with the children. So we know that this world already like has supernatural principles and whatnot. You do something kind of vague with it, where instead of just the kids being buried in the basement, their corpses have all been, like, chopped up and turned into, like, a centipede monster. Oh and the God. boy, the guy keeps talking about how the boy is special. He's going to be the head of the centipede. He's going to be the head of the human centipede. Oh, man, yeah. he poops into the other no, 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 no. He's the head of the corpse monster, you know, and there's, like, a satanic something around where the head is, you know, and like there's no head on it yet to imply like, oh yeah, it needs that one final piece. Yeah. Something Again, cool, there's, there's you know? Just, like, there's just really nothing. Wild. There's just nothing. The, yeah, the, go hard the, with it. the killer has no motivation, like no clear motivation. Like we Not, can play this game all day because like really just like literally Yeah, it's like you could you literally come up with anything. It's like we don't get anything like why does he kill? Why does he kidnap children? What's with the masks? There's this game Naughty Boy that he likes to play. But what is that? He just beats him. That's all. Why is it because his dad beat him as a kid? Like, and because of that, he had to retreat into like an alternate personality or something like that. Fucking apply like more themes with the dad beating the daughter, right? And then you have the parallels. It's like, oh yeah, my dad beats my dad beats me too. It's like there's all of this like there's nothing actually to grasp onto. There's just, like, these sort of vague implications that you could add something to. That's why it's so frustrating, because there's so much potential to go in a little more in any direction. Any one of these avenues would have made for a much more interesting movie. Instead, Just way way more Ethan Hawke in general. He is your fucking golden ticket with a movie like this the fact that an actor like the fact that an actor like ethan hawk like will continuously work with somebody like scott derrickson you've already won the day at that point it's the same it's the same thing in sinister too is like his character is so underutilized in that like ethan hawk is such a good actor and like He's just wasted on some on a filmmaker like Scott Derrickson who doesn't know how to make interesting characters. Yeah. It's like No, and also all we got out of this movie was just a long tra- like a long version of the trailer. Yeah, yes. Yeah. 100%. If you've seen the trailer to this movie, you've seen the whole film. Yeah. Correct. Like you you see the kids see ghost stuff in the trailer. <laughs> yeah. You see like him wearing the different masks in the trailer. Um, you see Ethan Hawke's best moments in the trailer. Yeah. Like, his can- his his hammiest, campiest, like, you know, uh, little bits, all in the trailer. That's another thing, too, is that I found jarring, is the scene where the boy, the main character, gets kidnapped by Ethan Hawke. That scene is in the trailer, but in the movie, it's cut identically. Identically to the trailer. And I found that so confusing because when I watch in the trailer, it feels like that scene is like cut for a trailer. It's like we gotta show mm-hmm. like these beats of this scene in the trailer in a certain amount of time. It felt cut down, and then that scene is cut exactly the same way. And I that was like that was so strange to me. Yeah. I'm like, why is this scene cut exactly like the trailer? There's got to be some more so peripheral like, content to this. I'm 
I'm super curious about the original source material. Yeah, frankly, I might I might go back after the fact and uh, and, yeah, and read the short story. I'm sure yeah. it's not too hard to find. Yeah, it's a short story too. Like you know, like mm-hmm. the, it's an evening. I can yeah. I can spare it. I I think uh, I'd be curious too, just because yeah. like I like Stephen King a lot. And I'm curious what his yeah. son's writing and style I, is like. Generally, I'm a huge. I mean, as a son of an artist myself, I'm a huge fan of the idea of legacy. Yeah. You know, and like you know, following in your father's footsteps, but doing your own thing with it. And all this the is rest. one of those like, things cool. though, where if you Lineage. told me it was a Stephen King story and not a Joe Hill story i would still believe you like yeah. it feels so yeah. much like a stephen king story yeah and and like and that's okay that's like, fine as long as it's good without this problem and like again too maybe the original is. the source material might be good yeah, yeah we don't um, we don't know and i would like to know just want a little bit more with you know detail with the killer what's well, other than just uh he wears a mask and sometimes a top hat yeah. <laughs> you know it's funny i will say the one thing I, I thought of right at the beginning when we first see Ethan Hawke, he's in like white face. Yeah, and I was like, oh, he's wow. doing his. That's Joker. the only time we really see his yeah. face in the movie too, yeah. which I thought was kind of weird. Yeah, I, I was like, he's, he's doing his Joker. He was doing like the the Joaquin Phoenix Joker yeah. voice and like yeah. the mannerisms and everything. He's oh, like, I've dropped my groceries. I'm a part time magician, yes, sir. Like, yeah, I want so much more of that in this movie. I want so much more of that in this movie. And, you know, like, one thing that, like, from a design perspective that I thought was kind of cool is, like, that the masks he wears are really, like, two masks, uh, like, the upper and lower face. And so, like, he can swap those out, and, like, throughout the movie, he has a lot of different combinations where, you know, he'll just be wearing the lower part of the face or just the top or whatever. Um, So, like, that's cool, but, uh, yeah, like, really a lot of wasted potential when you have somebody like Ethan Hawke in this movie to, like, not have a a way funnier uh, or, or way more fun villain. Because I didn't think he was particularly fun, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Nor this movie. Yeah, let's rate Alrighty. it. I mean... We already know. Three out of five. Textbook. There are things I like. Textbook three a, out of the five. It's above a 2.5. It's, uh, I'll give it that. It's, it's middle... Because of, of Ethan Hawke. Yeah, middle of the road, perfectly competently made, uh, you know, aesthetically looks fine, good music, Decent acting, decent to bad acting. But it just is the trailer. Watch this movie on an airplane. This is the perfect movie Ooh, to watch yeah. on an airplane. Yeah, yeah. Doing um, something else in the background. Yeah. yeah, have on in the background while you're washing dishes or mm. doing whatever. Like, or just watch you know, I mean, we 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 got into a lot of like the problems the movie has because that's the nature of like critique, but. Uh, I mean, it's it's a it's, it's, it's a wholly unoffensive. Film. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's fine. It's yeah. I mean, it's we were, I, we were just we were just picking apart what could have made it great. You know, yeah. Well, that's okay. What would have made it good? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what good what, what what set it apart from a good or great movie? Great but uh, I mean, it's it's fine. It's totally unoffensive. It's not a bad movie. But in that regard, you know, I do think that's kind of the worst sort of movie when it comes down to it. Because at least, like, really bad movies are interesting. At mm-hmm. least they make me mad, you know? At least they piss me off by how bad they are. At least they get, like, some kind of emotional reaction out of me. And this is just like, yep, that yeah. was that was a movie. Yes, sir, that's it. All right, well, uh, that's a unanimous three out of five for <laughs> The Black Phone. You did it, boy. Folks, I think you can skip this one in theaters. Wait yes. till it yeah, wait till it hits much. wait till it hits streaming if you really must see it. Mm-hmm. Top Gun's it probably still out. out. Yeah, Tem- Top Gun probably is still out. You can yeah. see that instead. Um, so uh, well, next week is our mid-year catch-up. Yes. But we still need to determine who the uh, so, the leader for the first half of the year so, is. So far. It's been razor tight. Um, razor thin. We're within one point of each other. So close. Uh, so I'll start with Rotten Tomatoes. So I predicted 71. TC predicted 65. I feel Cleve, good about you that. also predicted 65. Oh, shit. Right now, it's sitting at 84. What? Whoa. Certified fresh Excuse on Rotten Tomatoes. Me? Are you serious? I will say, that is just, preposterous. Just remember, Wild. on Rotten Tomatoes, 
a three out of five counts as a fresh review. Yeah, <sighs> yeah I yeah. guess. I guess. I guess. <laughs> so, uh, <sighs> that's eighty four. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I feel like movie like people. Hey, here's the thing. Men. People, men had le- had a lower score. Men, men would, phone. though. Yeah. I think, I, honestly... Men I is more men polarizing, would. for sure, yeah. but it's it's a better film It's a better movie, this. but, like, it's not a better movie for, like, your average theater-goer. Yeah, it's it's yeah, not, dude. Yeah. Like, I would I would recommend to, like, my, my average theater-goer, like, friends who are just, like, getting off yeah. their, 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 their double shift or whatever and want to see a movie, like, I would recommend The Black Phone over Men any day. I'm and, like, sure. the end of it, too, like, people also, like, I, I, I did not like part one of it, but I loved part two. People lost their fucking minds over part one of it, and I and it's just cheap. And it's mostly yeah. cheap jump scares and clowns. Part shit. one is fine. Part and one like is this movie good. has like plenty of cheap jump scares in it that most people like fucking eat yeah. up. I mean, for reference, the new Scream movie was a seventy six. That's insane, man. That's fucking so insane. Much yeah, <laughs> so much better than this movie. So uh, I, I, I I win that one. Uh, collective. You don't rating. deserve it though. Yeah, no. It's <laughs> not one I'm happy about per se. Uh, collective rating. Uh, I predicted three point three. TC predicted three point three, and Cleve you predicted three and a half. So Tease and I. So we tied, tied on that one. one. And. Uh, of course, we are recording on opening weekend, so we don't have final results. However, because I won two... Yeah, I mean, I think that puts you enough ahead yes. that, that you, uh, you, you, I, take, uh, you take the, the mid-year I I do the take the trophy. mid-year, um, just by a little bit. Um, it's still going to be close for the rest of the year, I'll tell you what. Yeah, we, um, don't, we don't have to do that much to catch up. So, but, uh, what films have you chosen yes, for Yes, so... Uh, I have two movies. Uh, the first movie is a stop motion movie, thirty years in the making. Yeah, uh, uh, it's Mad God. I've already seen it. We we pretty much yeah. knew that no matter who won, Mad God would be chosen. Oh yeah. Yes. Um, I'm glad it's it. Uh, it's, it's on Shutter. Um, and the second movie is another Shutter movie. Oh. Uh, it's a Taiwanese. Twist on a zombie movie called uh, The Sadness. Ooh. I've heard uh, very good things about this. I think, uh, actually, uh, honorary pod boy Sam Simon has, uh, he had put this on his, uh, one, as one of Sam. his Patreon picks. Well. So you're getting it, you're, you're getting it for free, Sam. Yeah. So I'm excited about both of them. They both sound really cool and interesting. Um, so we'll see next week how they are. Yeah. Well, uh, and listener, so will you join us next week for our mid-year catch-up in which we'll be discussing Mad God and the Sadness. Uh, but until then... We're getting mad and sad next week. Sponsor time. Oh, shit! It is sponsor time, isn't it? It's that time of year, which is every time of year, because we always have a sponsor, even when you're not listening there's one right behind you. And this week, the sponsor is The Grinch Who Didn't Stop 9-11. <laughs> um, I don't know what else to say to that that isn't already said in the name uh, that I didn't write. Uh, Did his heart grow three times or shrink three times uh, that day? I think it just stopped. Oh, his heart stopped. Was he in the towers? <laughs> well, he wasn't doing much else. So, <laughs> he just kind of let it happen. Um, the, gr- the Grinch <laughs> is culpable. He could have stopped it and he, and he didn't. didn't. Yeah. And that's why we hate him. And that's why we hate the Grinch. And that's and that and only that. That and, that and no other reason. Uh, I think my heart just sank, shrank about two sizes too small. Uh, reading that. Uh, God damn it. Publicly reading that. Um, okay. Well, there you go, boys and, and girls and just whoever the fuck. Uh, there you go. Uh, yeah, the Grinch who didn't stop. We hate him, but we thank him for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, Please help me end this. Well, What's next? Yeah, we, we will. We will end this. Uh, if if you like the show. 
please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podpeoplepod. Shout out to honorary pod boys Sam Simon and Zach Confer, who we love and appreciate as always. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at podpeoplepod and at letterbox.com slash podpeoplepod, where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those reviews. You can follow me on Twitter at some spooky snake. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. I'm rarely tweeting for Light Arc Studios as we put out progress on it stairs back, but you can also find me on dreadxp.com where uh, we are making all sorts of crazy cool games. Um, I think most recently we announced that the Mortuary Assistant is coming out August 2nd. Um, Hell yeah. Still give you some time to look forward to that incredible game uh, that uh, Brian has been working on. Um, yeah, it's it's a super cool game, and uh, I would recommend it. Um, Dread Delusions in Early Access? Dread Delusion is an... Dread Delusion is <laughs> Dread Delusion. Uh, yeah, no, go play Dread Delusion because holy shit, I um, uh, I did the world map uh, uh, on that um, that's available now. But uh, the the I, I, and I was also supposed to just do some QA on it, and I and I just couldn't put it down. I did well more than like I was needed to to help test the bugs and stuff. I just couldn't stop. I just really like last weekend. I really just like got sucked into it. Go play Dread Delusion and Early Access. It's so cool. It's magenta skies and strange clockwork soldiers and it's like Morrowind. Yeah, kind of. Um, yeah, it's got that Elder Scrolls kind of vibe, open world, uh, Kingsfield aesthetic. Um, retro, yeah, uh, retro PS One style mm-hmm. kind of. But with that, it's a really, really cool psychedelic twist and amazing world building and lore. It's yeah, it's it's a real treat. I would I would highly recommend it. Um, earnestly, it's so cool. Anyway, that's it for me. Well, uh, boys, I think we've uh, gone over our uh, our weekly allotted roaming minutes. Um, so we better hang up the phone before we get charged. That's that's an old people's joke. You can call uh, 8675309. Oh, no!